Welcome to Life Talks with Stephen and Pam. I'm so excited about this day, Pam. This is going to be awesome. We have a dear friend here with us. This is not a usual thing for us, but it's a usual thing having such a special person in our life and being with us in our living room. And today we get to welcome Robin. Yay for us. (laughs) This is going to be so awesome. We're going to talk about a really important subject, talking about rejection and shame, how to deal with it. It can keep us out of the promised land, out of the intended will and promises that God has for us and keep us kind of in a no man's land of feeling like, well, I'm born again, but yet why do I feel like the promises don't apply to me? God can't help us past our believing. Like if we believe at this level, yeah, that's good. we end up getting stuck at this level. So this is why I'm so excited to have Robin here because she has a phenomenal story of grace, of God's goodness. Pam, you know, you and I, we've been friends with her and her husband for a long time. And we've seen miracles in their life. And friends, I really believe today this podcast is going to set people free. Even before we got on air with this, we were praying, you know, I really believe this is going to deliver people from bondage. Yes, absolutely. So Pam, before we even get started, let's just welcome the Holy Spirit because we know that He has an ability to breathe the Word of God into our heart. Father God, we're so glad that you sent your Holy Spirit through Jesus. And you said in your word that you would declare, disclose, and transmit your will by the Holy Spirit. So today I thank you that you are going to do just that, that everyone listening will receive that declaration, that unfolding, and that transmitting of the way of God, the God's way of thinking, your way of doing things, and your will, which is always good full of mercy and joy and abundant life worth living Yes, Lord. in freedom. In Jesus' name, Amen. so be it. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Robin, just to give you a quick little introduction, you've been a friend of ours for quite a few years. Yes. You and your husband are very active in the church. You yeah. guys are business entrepreneurs. You're business people. But I want to get to the very beginning of your story. Yeah, let's unpack and, it. You know, I know that God's done a major work in your life, but one of the major works He's done is really setting you free from shame and rejection. Yeah. And that's not an unusual thing. A lot of people deal with this covertly. It's kind mm-hmm. of hidden in their life and they don't want to talk about it because obviously it's shameful to them. So they live this hidden life where they're trying to protect themselves, trying to guard themselves. Where did it start for you in your life? For me, it started in the womb. Um, I was not a planned pregnancy, nor was I a wanted pregnancy. And so there was dialogue, you know, about the potential to terminate, you know, is that an option? And, you know, when you consider that God spoke and he created, and science has proven that there's a sound wave, there's vibration at the very center of our cells. You know, you don't consider when a baby is being formed together and knit together in the womb, you don't think that the things that the mom and dad are talking about would have an effect, but it absolutely does because that is sound translating into the womb. And and even outside of that, it, it affected, I'm confident it would have affected the emotional welfare of my mom while I'm in there. Um, I know she had shared with me that she would have nightmares about my birth, about you know me coming. It wasn't like like a typical planned pregnancy where you're right. thinking, "Yay, we're having a baby and everything's going to be beautiful and wonderful." It was the opposite of that. And you know, I don't want them to be thought of improperly because yeah, I think this is important. Your parents were really good young kids. Absolutely, absolutely, and I and I believe that that is true for most people in the sense that. Uh, you know, the circumstances that brought rejection into my life may not resonate with somebody else, but circumstances, though they may be different, they bring us to similar places emotionally. These circumstances brought me to a place of rejection. That is where rejection was first introduced into my being. You know, was my emotional welfare developed enough that I understood? No. But my little spirit man, my little spirit girl in there understood that I wasn't wanted. And so thinking back to my mom and dad, I don't know a lot. I only know a little bit about what was going on. I know some of the years leading up to that for my dad, some of the stresses, some of the disappointments, some of the dreams that had to be let go. So then even like starting their lives together, things just did not go as the young man and young woman planned. Life happened. 
understand that somebody else's life choices are because of you didn't just one day you were a great guy and you woke up and you're like, you know, I think I'm going to be a drug addict now. Yeah. Like there's things. You know what? I feel like you're really bringing our attention here to an important understanding about shame and rejection. It can start like a small snowball and it can quickly roll into this gigantic, huge, monstrous snowman overtaking your life. With my parents, they probably felt like they were finally getting to a spot, you know, in their lives, not just maturity, but financially, that things were just different. It was like, finally, we might see some of our other dreams come to fruition and then comes a baby and it's like, throw a stone around my neck and toss me in the pond. Like, (laughs) you know, like just, it probably felt like that. I'm laughing only because I know your story and I know the redemptive end of it. But I mean, what an awful beginning. And then if I remember right, when you talked about it, the next years of your adolescent life as a little girl were basically spent chasing the approval of your dad. I did. I tried to do everything to, I literally would like, try to learn how to fix a car or fix brakes. You know, I'd go out in the garage with my dad and ask questions just to be around him. And, you know, he was never like a super emotional guy. Right. And um, it was very difficult. I mean, I did. I tried to get his approval on just about everything to no avail. And so, you know, that for a lot of girls and even boys, I'm sure, but I'm not a boy, so I can't speak to that. But um, (laughs) we long for male relationship. We long for that father type relationship. So since he wasn't giving it to me, I sought it elsewhere. Hey, listen, speaking as a man, I grew up as a boy rejected by my dad. He was a heroin addict, a drug addict. And I couldn't understand the vacancy in my heart because I had a good mom who was a Bible-believing mom, but I desperately wanted that father's approval. And I I took a mantle in my life that I was going to pay my dues. And sure. somehow for me, that meant getting ultimately the approval of the ultimate father. But thank God he led me to himself through Jesus. Still, it's easy to understand that your real world need as a child, you're desperate for that loving father's approval. You know, it's interesting in the Hebrew, the word for love is three letters. And in the middle is the Hebrew letter, hey, which basically is an open hand. And the word for love ultimately denotes that it is the open door to the father's heart. That's love. When you say love Mm -hmm. in the Hebrew, it's an open door to the Father's heart. Now, if you change that letter, hey, from an open hand to there's another Hebrew letter that means a closed fist. Now, if you you change that, it literally means the word hate that Mm -hmm. we translate in English, which means a closed door to to the the Father's heart. heart. You know, there's a thing that I've learned through this. This whole entire journey. And folks, it's been a journey. I've been born again for 23 years. And you you have this born again experience and you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and you you really truly feel and know that you're a new creation. Finally, it's going to happen. I'm going to be accepted. It's like going to Cedar Point, you know. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. Honestly, like the day I was born again, there was incredible breakthrough in my life. I was healed and delivered from some very specific things, some fear things and other things I was doing to my body, set free that day as if it had never happened to me. Wonderful, beautiful thing. My husband and I start going to a beautiful church, have incredible teaching, and over the course of these years, rejection just, it was like this Mount Everest in my life that I could not get around. I would read specific teachings, do devotions that were totally about rejection, because I knew I lived like that. My husband, who doesn't seem to deal with any of it, he'd ask me constantly, how many times are you going to go around this mountain? Like, when are you going to really, truly understand that I love you? And I would think to myself, I don't even know that God loves me. You know, years. It was easy for me because of my relationship with my own father. And I realize that this is dialogue that is had now in our culture a lot about the father, which I'm thankful it is because it's huge. We base our relationship and our understanding of God the Father, as we know, on we compare it to a lot of times our heavenly father. Yeah, It was easy for me, even though my dad wasn't abusive physically, he wasn't abusive with his words, he was silent. And, you know, we've talked about the danger of that silence. There's this void of space. So when you don't have, you're doing something as a child or as a young adult, a teenager, young adult, even into my adulthood, I'd go to my parents' house and I would be like, Dad, guess what happened? And I'd tell him and he would nod his head. Yep. 
So even as an adult, there's no like, honey, that's great, or I don't like that at all. Like something would have been better than nothing right. because we default to the negative and not just the negative. It's like a hundred mile an hour down a road of despair and destruction. Like you'd almost be better off to hear, I don't like that. I don't like your hair. I don't like your job. You didn't follow in the family, but you know, whatever. At least it would correlate it would with what you're feeling. I could right. actually like grasp onto some words, but when there's no words at all, it's this like broken part of our of our soul that it translates to you're not even valuable enough to make a comment. Right. I remember when my father-in-law passed. One of the last things he said to me, sorry, <laughs> was you're the most beautiful woman I've ever met. And it just it like struck me. But he looked at me and he, he anointed me with oil, prayed over me, and then looked me in the eyes and he said you're the most beautiful woman I've ever met. And I just like could not wrap my brain around that, you know? About a week or so later, I'm at my mom and dad's and I shared with them that experience. And my dad said nothing. Wow. Because I really desperately, it was like when I said it to him, I was like, surely he will like go, yeah, he's right. Like something, something. Right. I got nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Please understand, I'm not sharing that to like, I don't want my dad to be, my dad is not a bad man. My dad did the very best that he could with everything he had inside of him. He showed us that he loved us through the work of his hands. He didn't know how to communicate with his words. He didn't know how to communicate with his actions other than the work of his hands. You know, I think and something else I just want to interject here is for people to understand, you can't solve spiritual wounds and spiritual crisis with genetics. No. And a lot of times in the church... We try to solve spiritual family problems. You know, we're all called to a spiritual family. We're all made to be sons and daughters of God. And so we're all born wounded. You know, the Bible says we're all born in sin. Sure. Everybody. doesn't sure. matter if our parents were thinking about rejecting us when we were born or celebrating the socks off of us. Everyone is born wounded with sin. And you can't solve that family crisis that every one of us are born with with genetics. Right. And yet we try to do that. We try right. to get honor flowing in our life laterally because of our genetics and sure. overcome that. And it needs, this is why God sent his only begotten son, yeah. son, yeah. family member, yeah. child yeah. to lay down his life to set us free from our family curse. Look, we got to remember this. Jesus himself, the perfect son of God, was rejected, the Bible says, by his own. It's one thing to be rejected by the man at Kroger. Yeah. Yeah, you can get over <laughs> it's, that in a it's, second. Yeah. And it's completely, you know, driving down the road and somebody flips the bird at you when you're driving in traffic. That's Whatever. one thing to be rejected by that. But it's another thing to be rejected by your own. And his brothers, they came to a point where they rejected him. His brothers were like, if you're going to even act like this, do all this spiritual stuff, you just need to go to Jerusalem when they knew there was a contract out on his life. Yeah. So you want to talk about rejection. Jesus knew what rejection was all about. And I just want to intercept right now just so that we can be meditating on this. Isaiah 50, verse 6. Jesus gave his back to those who struck him. He gave his cheeks to those who plucked out his beard. Yeah. And here's what it says. I love this. I did not hide my face from the shame and the spitting. And he intentionally, purposely lifted up his face into the wind and took all of our shame intentionally to pay the price. Yeah. You started well, to sure. understand what that scripture meant. But as you started growing from a child, even from the time you were in your mom's womb, then it's as you were growing, almost that rejection and shame started to grow. Rejection got its traction in the womb and grew as a young child. And then, you know, you, I got into my teenage years and was being an idiot. Most of mine was driven because of rejection. My decisions were based on rejection and seeking relationships. You know, I had gone to a, I'd go to church with my mom and it was a, it's a small little church. And even as a teenager, I thought I could memorize the books of the Bible. I knew the Ten Commandments but I had zero relationship with God. I totally believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, born of a virgin, died on the cross for my sins, but there was no relationship. So not even a real understanding of what the cross was. Right. The character of God. No, no had no understanding of, of it. And I certainly did not think that, that I mattered. And Robin, you said earlier that the rejection in your life 
based at the family level, began pushing you into relationships. That were wrong relationships and ultimately wound up um, in a situation when I was 15 years old, put me in a doctor's office with some decisions to be made that nobody ever wants to make. And as a minor, um, my mom and dad, consequently, they made the decisions for me. And um, that is what really, really, when shame became BFFs with rejection in my life. That day, sitting in a, you know, there's, there's these poignant moments in your life where you remember everything. You remember what you were wearing. You remember the smell. You remember sounds. And I guess, I don't know if you want to call it trauma. You can call it whatever you want. But it was a day that um, I made decisions I made decisions for myself. The choices that I had made that put me in that room were full of shame. Rejection drove me there. Shame, like, secured the spot. You know, like, put up the parking sign, like, you're going to live here now. This is your new address. And I remembered sitting in that room and literally coming into agreement with lies about myself. Like, okay, well... If the kind of girl that brought me here is that kind of girl, this is just the way it's going to be. This is my lot This is my lot. This is who I am. I mean, my parents, I've completely lost any type of trust or respect from my parents. So, and at that point, you know, that is who has the biggest voice in your life. Like, this is just the way it is. Like, this is... And it's got to be pretty hard, like, to be a 15-year-old girl, all that stuff going on, just to wrap your head around that reality. Being a 15-year-old girl and... um sitting in in an adult situation, having to make adult decisions that will have an effect on you for the rest of your life, have an effect on your parents for the rest of their lives. It was handled, this whole thing, this circumstance in my life was literally handled like, you know, having a filling at the dentist. Even though the gravity of it was massive, it was dealt with very discreetly, very... Almost clinical. Very clinical, very unemotional. But to me, it was like crazy. Of course it is, you know. But um, then the other piece of it of nobody will ever know this. You don't ever utter a word of this. We will never speak of this again. You know, you go through any type of a trauma in your life, whether, you know, we were talking about my son breaking his arm, like there's discussion that needs to be had. You know, there's things that you need to talk about the incident. You need to talk about when you have a trauma that happens, you need to be able to discuss things. Well, Dr. Don Colbert, our friend, he has made studies and it's scientifically proven that trauma is your body. Your mind will and emotions, but your body actually holds those traumas. They have to release them. And I just think at that day, there was traumas that started happening. Your body, your mind will and emotions started accepting them, which changed your belief system as you continued until the day you were born again. Right. Your spirit was immediately born again. But along the way, your mind, will, and emotions, and your body still had to come to that moment in time where it said, no more. I release the rejection and I release the shame. I want to give you guys like a picture of why in a situation like this, when you talk about rejection culminating to the point where it becomes such a shame in your life, why as humans we respond the way we do. We get it honestly from our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. And here's what Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says. Adam and Eve have already eaten of the tree of knowledge Mm -hmm. where they were told not to. And God has already said, on the day that you do this, you will die. Now remember, Adam lives another 900 and some years after that. But in that moment, Death came into his life, and living with shame and rejection Mm, is living dead. It really is living death over and over and over because you're forever on the outside looking looking in. in. You you never belong, and you want to belong with everything in you because we're made to belong. That's right, we are. We're made to be family, but when you don't have that sense of feeling like you're on the inside, you are forever living that death experience. And here's what it says in Genesis 3, chapters 9 and 10. But the Lord God called to Adam, this is his precious son, 
He's calling to Adam, and he said, where are you? Now, it's not like God can't find Yeah, God knows where he's at. <laughs> but what's happened is Adam's confidence, his boldness, his security has completely vanished. It's mm-hmm. evaporated. Yeah, it's and remember, shaken. we're made to be spirit, and we're made to be connected with God. And God knows the connection is gone. He knows where he is. Oh, yeah, God sees him. But he's asking a rhetorical question. Do you know where you are? Because mm-hmm. you're lost now. Yeah. You're completely lost. And look what happens. The Lord called to Adam, and he said, where are you? This is verse 9. And he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, God, and I was so afraid because I was naked. So you know what I did? I hid myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Shame and rejection cause you to instinctively try to hide yourself. Absolutely. So and I feel like, Robin, just because Pam and I know your story so well, the next years, it's like you've lived this life trying to hide yourself. And, you know, the reason being, I think about Moses when his sister Miriam got leprosy. And you can look it up for yourself in the book of Numbers, chapter 12. And Moses is praying for his sister Miriam's healing because she had leprosy. And God gives a strange reply. And remember, this is Old Testament. Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. And God says to Moses, he said, if her father had spit in her face, if her father had rejected her and spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up outside the camp for seven days. And afterward, she may return. You see, God's giving us a picture legally, judicially, and according to legal due process. What happens under the Old Testament without a Redeemer? What happens to us when we get shamed, when we get rejected, even laterally, we are doomed to be outside, outside the camp looking in. with our shame. Because you see, without a Redeemer, without a Savior, without that spiritual antidote, you are locked into being outside, never being able to come inside as long as you have that shame on you. And I want you to pick it up here, Robin, because like you said, you got saved, you got delivered from certain things, but you were still living as a daughter of God, but yet not enjoying the feeling of a daughter of God. You know, I liken it to learning a language and never having visited a land. I just said that earlier that we belong to a beautiful church and incredible teaching. We have access to all of this knowledge and discipleship and you prayed for children. Oh, God my lands. bless you guys with the two most gorgeous kids. They are pretty cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the picture I'm getting is you felt rejected at the beginning by your family, your parents. Yeah. But now you've moved. Now you've progressed, Robin. Now you feel completely rejected by God. Well, especially you stack that on top of the rejection and the shame. Oh, yeah. I'm already, as a born-again believer, as a daughter of God, hearing everything through these like headphones of shame and rejection. Well, here's the thing. The enemy would like nothing more than for believers to establish the shame and the rejection in your life as being the will of God, as being absolutely almost doctrinalize it so that it becomes part of your doctrine. Robin, maybe Pam doesn't have to live under shame, but God has chosen you to live under that burden. That's your thorn, Robin. So you just suck it up, honey, and you just live with it. Yeah, I I actually I don't agree with that. Well, (laughs) no, but it's true. But a lot of people, that's good that you say that because there's a lot of people listening that they change their theology, not based on the truth. Well, yeah, it gets compared to Paul's thorn in their flesh. This is a thorn in my flesh. And I had that conversation with an individual who was like, well, maybe, you know, the thorn in the flesh is just knowing that rejection is the mountain that you have to go around and being able to identify, oh, that's rejection. Listen. So in other words, you need to apply some works to deal with your mountain. Forget about what Jesus did on the cross. Right. Now it's back all on you because what he did on the cross wasn't, wasn't quite, quite enough. It. I think it's really important at this point is to basically just say, how was that working out for you? Trying to work through your own rejection in your own strength, trying to overcome your shame by just digging in and discipline yourself and saying, I can do it. I can do it. Well, it's important to point out from my own personal walk, it was never a matter of, I don't want to. And I'm going to make this reference again. It's like learning a foreign language. I've learned about the freedom from rejection. I've learned about the love of God. I've heard about it. I've read about it. I've sang songs about it. I've sang songs about you took my shame and I've sang songs about you took my rejection and believe them in my whole, I believe them to my core, like learning an entire foreign language, but yet never visiting the land. 
I know the language. I know the context in which it's used. I know the right inflection and how to use it and when to use it. But to actually go there and live it. But I don't really know the number to the travel agency, and I don't understand how to call them. It's kind of like, you know, talking about learning to speak French and never going to never Paris, going, never going never to France. Never going there yeah. and never having a clue how to even get there. Oh, there's mm-hmm. planes that go there? Yeah. Like not having, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, not, not even knowing that you can I, actually go to the land you and you live there. You mean you don't have to swim across the Atlantic? You can take a flight? Right. And, if, and I was at a point in my life there, if I understood that it took swimming across the Atlantic, I'd go learn how to swim really By good. By golly, I'm going to do gonna it. I'm going to learn how to swim. So it's never, it was never a point. And I feel like that's important for a lot of the listeners. I know what it's like to be like, yeah, but I've read all of the books and I've done the devotions and I just can't seem to get through it. And, you know, when it came to that point of being truly healed and set free, weeks before that, I had gotten a text from you, Pam, that was, you'd sent me the teaching on... Stephen's Take Communion. Yeah, the the podcast. And you'd add a little note, I just really feel like this is something that maybe you and your husband should consider doing for a couple weeks. And I lit, because of where I was at, emotionally, with (laughs) other circumstances, and I'm like, face, I'm like about to, what I did not realize is I was part of this great setup by the Holy Spirit. I was getting ready to confront rejection and shame finally, for like once and for all, like we are done with you, done deal, dot com, done. When I read that text, it was like... Oh, I have to do more things? <laughs> like, seriously, why can't I just like be? Because, Stephen, I had gotten to a point in my walk with God that I understood. It's like the foreign language thing. I understood that He loved me. I did not think that He liked me. And I had said to Him months ago, looking out my front, again, those moments that you're with the Lord that you remember everything. And I asked Him, I'm like, do you even like me? Mm. I don't even know that you like me. I know that you love me because you sent your son to die for me, and I will spend all of eternity in heaven. But is there something about me that you just don't like? Wow. Is there something about my broken nature that I don't even understand? Yeah. That you don't like? And again, you know, circumstances that brought me to that point are different from everybody else's, but it's the same GPS location. That's right. It's the same spot. So though you may not be able to relate to the circumstances that brought rejection and shame into my life, rejection and shame are absolutely part of a evil scheme. And you know, you referenced the Garden of Eden and Adam, our great great grandparents being, you know, the ones that originally sowed it in. And you think about all of hell and what hell having a bullseye on our back, he was thrown out. He was tossed out. You know, having been this beautiful creation, this beautiful creature in heaven that was in charge of all of the worship and the beautiful things of God to be cast out, and then God makes these people, this human race in His likeness and in His image, how bad the enemy wants us to be rejected and full of shame. And keep you believing his lies. As long as you're believing his lies, then you're not believing God's truth. He can keep you sterile. He can keep you unfruitful. He can keep you in frustration and futility. Then you become a misrepresentation of the covenant of God. That somehow, like you said, you get these words from God and it's like, well, it doesn't work for me. Maybe it works for Pam. Maybe it works for Stephen. Oh, but no, it doesn't work for me. I'm one of those people that quotes movie lines to myself like a lot or <laughs> songs, you know, little blips out of a song. And there's that movie, The Polar Express, where the little boy from the other side of the tracks, you know, he's like afraid to get off the train. Once they get to the North Pole, he doesn't want to get off the train and investigate Santa's workshop because, and he's just, you know, looking down at the ground and he goes, well, Christmas just has never worked out for me. Wow. Because mm-hmm. wow. he's a little boy that's never got a gift for Christmas. He's He hears about Christmas. He's, sure. He knows what goes on in other that's houses good. and that's never been his truth. And that honestly is how I've felt for 20 some years. I watch people get blessed. And that's even in what, you know, the bonkers thing about shame and rejection is that you know the testimony of our kids and how our kids came to be our children it's bananas. I mean, Jesus moved heaven and earth for those two to be part of our family. And even in that, 
It's like you couldn't feel the. Blessing. I couldn't get there. You know, it literally you're married is like, to a great guy. I, I, I want to am... review this. You're married to a great guy. You and him are entrepreneurs together. You're doing life together. You guys are movers and shakers in your church. You've got these beautiful kids, beautiful boy and girl. I mean, they're talented. They're gorgeous. They look like little supermodels. <laughs> um, you know, you've got all these great things. You've even got the dog going for you. All this stuff. But yet, all these blessings from God, but yet you're just not feeling. Robin, you're still on the outside totally. looking in. Totally. Well, you got your little cute face pressed up against the pain <laughs> yeah, going, yeah. I guess Christmas is just not for me. Totally. You know, I just want to cut forward because, you know, you were talking about how God was setting you up for your breakthrough. Yeah. And yes. you were taking communion. You were doing the podcast on communion, probably reluctantly, but yet yeah, you were doing we did it. it. But then something happened that was really negative, too, that you started almost in your own home. You ended up starting to be a conduit of rejection. Well, and that was what I was starting to get to is, you know, you try to speak the right things into your kids. You want to be an uplifter. And my daughter has, both of our kids have huge dreams. And she had come to me one night, wanted this dialogue of, wanted to go through this whole dialogue of all of the things that she would need to do and need to purchase and need to have financially so that she could get her dream to happen sooner than later. Like, what kind of job could I have? How much money do I need to make to make all of these things? So trying to understand a balance sheet kind of thing. Good for her. And meanwhile, my husband's cooking on the grill. I'm in the kitchen and he can hear us talking. And he had called me over to the door. He's like, grab me a spatula. I walk over and he's like, you need to chill out. You need to change your tone. Because without realizing it, you were kind of trying to squash her dreams. I had no clue. I mean, to say I had no clue. I thought that my tone was right. I thought that what I was saying was appropriate. I didn't have a single clue. Maybe, and so, you, maybe you were becoming a little bit of the messenger of, hey, maybe Christmas isn't going to be totally. for you. Totally. And then I went back Thought I changed my tone, changed my body language, like tried to like deliver it differently. And my husband asked for something else, but he called me by my father's name. Ooh. And it took wow. my breath away. And you don't think that that's a big thing, but I didn't want to be. My dad had great qualities, but that wasn't the one that I wanted to emulate. And so I excused myself and I went into the, our bedroom. It literally knocked the wind out of me because it became this reality of. I'm doing it unknowingly. Like, yeah. what else am I doing in my life that is perpetuating this flipping thing that I've been dealing with for so long? What else in all of my other relationships, if I'm doing it inside my four walls, is it just inside my four walls or is it outside of the four walls? You know, you think of, we all have these dreams and these hopes that we want to do for the Lord. I can't do that while I'm perpetuating shame and rejection in my tone and in my actions and not even realizing it. That is a scary spot. It sure is. Jesus said this. He said, in talking about life, he said, a good tree produces good fruit. He said, a bad tree produces bad fruit. And you know, and I know this from my own life, when you have rejection, when you have fear in your life, you have anything of the enemy that's allowed to live inside you, it ends up coming off your branches. And you can do all the picking up the fruit in the middle of the night that you want and trying to hide it out back. But that stuff comes out. And like you were saying, you don't even realize you've become a voice of rejection yourself. How many sons and daughters have grown up watching their alcoholic parents be abusive and going, I'll never do that. I hate that. I'll never do that. And then becoming a bigger alcoholic than their parents were, becoming a bigger drug addict than their parents were. And, you know, it's just a law of the spirit realm that what's in your roots, what's in on the inside ends up becoming the very thing that you produce the fruit of, whether you want to or not. It's not that you didn't. I mean, I know you. You're an amazing mom. You love your kids. You lay down much. your life for your Absolutely. kids. You'd swim the Atlantic for your kids. I try. But here's the thing is, you can only produce what's on the inside of you. And I think you came to a point where just the Lord had set it up where you could look in the mirror and see that rejection and shame were now coming out of your branches. It's not a good day. But it's a great day. You know, it's that juxtaposition. You look at it, there was a, and again, being part of the great setup, this is where Jesus and the Holy Spirit are so beautiful and work so beautifully in your life. We had arranged already to have coffee and 
chit chat about some things. And Stephen, you and I started this very casual conversation about our fathers. Something you had said I could totally empathize with and understand and related another story with my dad, which then created tears, which I didn't expect. But it's because it had all surfaced. And Stephen asked me, Pam, he's like, you want to take care of this once and for all? And I was like, well, if I can't, I remember saying to you, like, in the picture of it all, I just asked you a simple question. How come you don't have joy? How come you're not happy? And I remember it was almost to you, like, the look on your face was like, it was almost just like this insult, like, where do I begin yeah. to tell you? Yeah. And then you said, I just feel I'm so tired of feeling exhausted. Well, I remember, like, the first words out of your mouth were basically echoing that feeling. I don't even know if God loves me, if he accepts me. Yeah. That's the feeling I'm feeling. But when you walk with that filter over everything that you see and hear comes through rejection and shame first before you process it, either spiritually or logically, there's so many things that are comparative to everybody else. It is, well, Stephen and Pam are blessed because of that. You know, they've got the blessing. I don't. They prayed for five seconds and got what they wanted. I've been on it for 12 years. There's always this thing. And then even crazier spots is when the Lord uses you to speak into somebody's life or pray or moments where you might get asked to teach something. And all the while, there's this voice in the back going, if they only knew what an absolute joke you are. And what's crazy is that you could totally live your life with me 24-7 and I there's not anything illicit that's happening. There's not anything really by the world standards. It's all of the things inside of my brain. It's all of the emotional talk, all of the things, the dialogue that goes on internally that nobody sees. And you've never really escaped your original prison. No. The, the, the original penitentiary of rejection and shame. Never. You've never really come out of those walls. And it's almost like at some point, Pam talked about it earlier, you redoctrinalize your experience and it becomes, this is just my lot in life. Yes. I love the word rhema, God's word in the exact right time. Mm -hmm. When you were open, your heart was open in that moment, and Stephen looked at you and said, do you want to take care of this now, once and for all? So what happened, Robin? My initial response, you're right, my initial response was how I questioned, like, how could this be the one time that it finally happens? But it did. We prayed. We spoke directly to the root I don't have to live from that doctor's room anymore. I don't have to live from those little moments in a garage with my dad or in the living room where I didn't see the response that I should have or, you know, the other relationships in my life, friendships, mentors that that did the best that they could and ultimately felt like rejection. You don't have to live from those places anymore. And God wants to redeem that. I think of um, the things that all of the things that my dad could have done, he just he could not because of all of his circumstances and his heart and his inability to express himself the way that I thought he should have. My dad did the best he could. My mom's done the best that she could. They are beautiful people. But if I can say this, but no matter how good your genetics are, it's never good enough. It's never good because they are. And, and you know the illusion. Jesus. And here's the illusion, Robin. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there that have grown up in really good families, really well-adjusted, fun, accepting families that are full of compliments and full of attaboys. Yes. But the illusion is, is that at some point your genetics were enough, and then those same people grow up and grow into life finding out that they desperately need a savior. Yeah. And then the struggle begins to come to grips with the rejection that really still is alive in their heart. Because the thing is, no matter how much your genetics are accepting you, spiritually, you need a heavenly father. You absolutely and do. And there's only one bridge. There's only one redeemer. There's only one person. Galatians 3 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Every one of us are born under that curse, born into it. And Christ redeems us from the curse by being made a curse for us. I got to come back to that because that's so beautiful. In every way, Christ has suffered on our behalf to set us free from every fear, every rejection, right. every shame. I mean, you know, you were made for honor. Psalm 8 says that you are destined to wear a crown of honor and glory that you might have dominion over the works 
of God's hands. Yeah. And here you are with everything in you. You're practically trying to work the work and have dominion over the works of God's hands, but you don't have the crown in place. I mean, you may have sort of the glory crown kind of sideways on your head, but you're kind of going through life and every window pane you walk by, you can see the crown looks kind of distorted on your head. And you're like, ah, maybe I better not go in because I'm really not legitimate. And I, maybe right. I should wait until someday when I am legitimate. And so therefore, and you talk yourself out of the boldness the word says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. So then you end up walking in every room that you're supposed to be a lion and end up trying to be a pseudo lamb that's really not rejected and then trying to call it humility. It's not humility. Right. You've bought into a lie of rejection and shame. You're uncovered. You're like your grandfather, Adam. You're naked. Yeah. You hear God's voice, and instead of running to it, it's like, uh, maybe we better go on vacation and escape his voice. Yeah. And you know, what makes me think of that is then here is God with his, and the Holy Spirit with his mercy, continuing to set up situations. So here you are, you're taking communion with the, the podcast on communion. You finally realized it's not a thing that you have to do. It's a rejoicing for what God's already done. It's a celebration. Taking communion is not something you have to do. It's actually a joy of celebrating what God's already done. So God sets you up there. Then comes this moment in time, this special day where heaven meets earth. Yeah. Stephen looks at you and he says, do you want to take care of that now? Something happened and I love what you said. It's like years ago when I accepted Jesus and was born again, my spirit was born again. It felt like but my born mind, again, will, and again. emotions <laughs> had never almost been born again. And what did you say? It's like that moment was like being born again again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> again, again. I got born again again because for the first time ever in my entire life, but even more importantly, in my walk with Christ. I got on a plane and I went to the land. Yeah. And you I got to and go I, to Paris actually and I, experience it. <laughs> and I get to, I actually like, you talked about living in the jail, living in this prison of rejection. And I picture myself walking around with a box around me, you know, through life. But the jail's gone. Yes. All of it's gone. Yes. And for the first time, and honestly, like immediately, what things that were said to me or, you know, in business, just different things that had gone on in the next couple of days, immediately I could hear things differently. I yeah. recognized yeah. that I heard them differently. They did not impact my heart. My response now does have, it leans more towards the love and mercy of Christ. That's beautiful. There's like this infusion of heaven's love, almost to where I feel like you can speak right to the point of the problem, if given the permission. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I sure Like do. there's this whole new unfolding of love and grace. Now you've become a agent of it. Like, you see what I mean? Before yeah, where yeah, there yeah. was shame and rejection on the inside, like down in your roots, now there is acceptance and there's God's glory you know, God is merciful that, you know, when you describe the character of God, it says his mercy is everlasting. Well, now you have become a partaker of that everlasting mercy. Sure. It's become a part of your root system. Yeah. Well, that's what's coming out of your branches. And you don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to put all this effort into it and lean into it. It's just who you are. Yeah. You know, you're not rejected anymore. No. You're not under shame anymore. You're no. covered by the hand of God. So you've got this glory covering around you. So now what used to be so difficult and so challenging and actually an act of discipline, now it's not even an act of discipline. It comes easy. You're yeah. living out of that experience. So what I had you do in that moment when I said, well, Robin, are you ready? It wasn't like me saying, I'm just going to fix this huge problem. I'm just like, right away, I can see the cross right in front of you. Right. And I'm thinking, this cross is so victorious. And Robin is so ready yeah. just to come to the cross. And because I have so much confidence in the cross <laughs> of Jesus and the victory that the King of all kings achieved for us at the cross, I just thought, if I can just get Robin just to come to the cross and I'll help her just lay down anything that's at the top of her heart to lay down at that cross, I had you stand up, close your eyes, and I just began saying, Robin, just pray after me, because I really wanted you just to kind of turn your, your sense and reason off and just get into living in the moment, mm -hmm. raw, and just lay it down. And I don't know if you remember, I just kind of walked you through confessing yeah. some of the rejection that was right even at your conception yeah. when you were being talked about in the womb, yeah. hey, should we get rid of this girl? Honey, I really feel like that the people that are listening right now, so many of them, there's one of you that you're actually listening in the car 
and you need to pull off on an exit and you need to go into a parking lot and you need to to listen the next couple minutes or some of you need to stop whatever you're doing so you can focus because God is about ready to do something that you will, just like Robin said, you'll be born again, again. Honey, I really feel like you need to lead those specific people that this is their time. Let's do this. Let's start this way. Me and Robin, let's tag team. I feel like the Holy Spirit so set up your heart for that moment. And people's hearts need to be teed up to confess life and righteousness. So how about you just maybe lead us in a time of prayer just to set up these folks. Like I know there's somebody that just, they feel such shame and rejection to even allow it to come to the surface when they're so muscle trained in their soul to keep it down and hidden. There's some of you that are listening for the maybe the first time to Stephen and Pam's podcast or you've been thinking about or you've been investigating this Jesus that we, the three of us, talk so confidently about and you've been wondering if there's some truth to it in this world where it's very difficult to really tell what's real and what's not real. Is this Jesus real? Is what he did on the cross real? We're here to tell you, yes, he is. And I just want to pray for you right now, friend, that wherever you're at in your life, if you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life or if you haven't, either way, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you begin to move over their heart, over their mind, over their emotions. And just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. You did come to earth through the Virgin Mary, that you were born of a virgin, that you are God incarnate, God in flesh, that you died on a cross, that you took a beating for us, that your blood was shed in every way possible, that all of our sins, all of the rejection, all of the shame, that it was covered for my life. I am dedicating my life and my heart to you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come into my heart. Thank you that even right now, before Stephen walks you through this beautiful prayer, I ask you, Holy Spirit, that right now you begin to pinpoint moments in their lives that they can speak to, to be delivered from. I thank you ahead of time that you are orchestrating healing and deliverance right where they sit. Now, friend, I want you just to close your eyes and I want you to imagine the cross of Jesus right in front of you. It's a place of triumph, a place of great victory. It is the greatest trophy in all of eternity, the cross of Jesus. And the word says that Christ has redeemed us. That means he's bought us back from the curse, not just the sin, but from all of the curse. And as your eyes are closed and you see that cross, I want you to imagine yourself laying down every rejection, every shame, every torment, and just confess it and lay it down on the cross. James 5 says this, confess your faults. It means with your words, profess those faults. And the word from the Greek translation means a geological fault line, like the ones we have in California. When there's a fault line in the bedrock, if enough pressure comes on it, you get this earthquake. And you've been trying to discipline this sin away, discipline these faults and these reactions away. And just in your heart at that cross, you lay down your shame. Just say, Father, I lay down my shame at this cross. No matter what it is, it could have been a rejection like Robin had, and you just lay down that rejection. You know, maybe this is what my family said about me. Maybe this is what my spouse said to me. The last words is he or she walked out the door and said, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You confess it out and just say, I lay down this shame. I lay down these words that were spoken over me. My dad said that I would never amount to anything. My mom said that I would be an alcoholic like her. Whatever it was that family said to you, Maybe your dad and mom even left you up for adoption and didn't want anything to do with you. And the years through the orphanages and every foster home, you've dealt with all this rejection. Just you confess it out and just lay it down at the cross. See all of that ugliness and dirt falling down at the cross. And then you lift up your eyes to the top part of the cross. You say, Jesus, I receive your victory. Jesus, I receive your victory. I receive your glory. Receive your glory. You came to give me life abundantly. You came to give me life abundantly. And I receive it. And I receive it. I'm no longer on the outside. I'm no longer on the outside. 
outside. But I've moved to the inside. I've moved to the inside. Christmas is for me. Christmas is for Jesus me. Jesus is for me. Jesus is for me. Life is for me. Life is for me. The blessing is for me. The blessing is for me. I'm not under my grandfather Adam's curse anymore. I am not under my grandfather Adam's curse. But I'm under the blessing of Jesus. I'm under the blessing of Jesus. Every time a situation comes up. Every time a situation comes up. I get to have Jesus blessing. I get to have Jesus blessing. Because of Jesus righteousness. Because of Jesus righteousness. I get the blessing. I get the blessing. He paid full price. He paid full price. So my confidence. So my confidence. Is always. Is always. In the finished work of this cross. In the finished work of this cross. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You guys, I believe people just got set free. Amen. I believe that they just got magnetized. That's the way I like to think of it. They just got reversed magnetized to the blessing. They were magnetized to the curse. So every time they walked through the door, it was like they were just attracting dirt and attracting shame and attracting neglect and feelings of rejection. Yes. Now they are reverse magnetized according to what their design is. God designed you and me for blessing. It's Amen. almost like what Rob and said, born again, again. And I feel like there's some of you that are listening and you laid at the foot of the cross, rejection and shame. These are specific yes. things. But I believe that you're going to find out that these were roots that were underneath the covering of sorrow. And all of a sudden you're going to be, why am I just like looking at the trees and I'm smiling and I've been so, laughing. I've had to take everything. I'm laughing, everything. <laughs> Joy. Joy. No- Laughter is gonna- no longer a novel concept. It's a reality. <laughs> in your life. Exactly. <laughs> How nice it, to not have to fake the funk. That's right. That's Robin, right. I am so thankful Thank for you. you. You are such a precious sister. Thank I'm you. so thankful for you and your husband's life and for your family. You, you guys are such a blessing to Pam and I, and I really believe with all my heart that your story, and I, I just, I really want to commend you for your courage and your faithfulness just to tell this story. It, people don't understand the backstory. It took a lot of courage, Jesus' courage, for you to tell this story. But I'm so thankful that you did. I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is going to be a rich blessing to a lot of people. Thank you for being a catalyst of faith in other people's lives for them to walk free. I believe there's CEOs getting set free right now. Single moms getting set free right now. I believe there's young people in foster care getting set free right now. I believe that there's maybe fathers who've made decisions just because they didn't know enough of God's word. About a 13-year-old girl. Yeah, amen. Amen. People getting set free all over the world. And I'm just so thankful. Friends, I'm just so thankful for your partnership, for you being a part of this ministry and what God is doing and allowing us to be able to bring people like Robin's voice to you because I just consider it such an honor to hear her story and be able to get it in your car, in your home, in your life, wherever you are because I really believe that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and just so thankful for your support. Yes, we are. We have a growing global network called The Living Room where people join in that family. But then we come to communities where we can see you face to face. So look on our website, see when we're coming to your community so we can meet you, give you a hug and speak victory to you. Remember friends, because of what Jesus did on the cross for you, you you are are born born to to win. win. Thanks for listening to Stephen and Pam Marshall. To receive more information or more teaching, go to www.stephenandpam.com. Stephen and Pam Ministries is a 501c3 charitable organization and your gift helps us to take this message to 1,000 communities worldwide. 